0: You're listening to the St. John's and Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Hey everybody, my name's Andy and it's my pleasure to be reading the Bible for us tonight. Um, We are continuing our series through Mark. This this verse is uh, chapter 12 verses 28 to 34, and if you have a look in the seats in front of you, you can find um, some blue Bibles it's on page 824, um, or if you want to use an app, we recommend bible.com app. Uh, basically, we're picking up a series of conversations that Jesus has been having, um, just like answering lots of questions. It's like Q&A time for Jesus. Um, so yes, this is uh, the last question that he answers um, in this series, at least. So, uh, starting at verse 28 When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions.
1: Uh, G'day everyone, my name's Tim. I'd love you to have your Bibles open at page 824 as uh, we continue through this series, uh, Jesus Verses. Um, If someone asked you, what is it? What does it look like for you to live as a follower of Jesus? Um, What does it look like, you know, when you go along to school or to work, when you're on the sports field, when you're out in the local community or when you're interacting with your family, what does it actually mean for you to be a follower of Jesus? Uh, The answer to that could be quite complicated, couldn't it? Because life's complex Uh, There's lots of different situations that we find ourselves in, there's lots of complex sort of ethical decisions that might need to be made uh, through any particular day or week. So at one level, it's complicated, but at another level, it can be summed up very simply uh, in one word, in fact, love, love, as we see in what Jesus teaches today. Uh, So we're looking through, as Andy said, these series of interactions that Jesus has as different religious groups come and ask Jesus a series of questions. So the chief priests, teachers of the law and the elders came and they questioned Jesus' authority. Then we saw the Pharisees come and they tried to trick Jesus with a political question to try and get him in trouble. Last week we saw uh, a group called the Sadducees And they tried a tricky theological question. They tried to make Jesus look like an idiot by asking him a tough theological question that they thought he wouldn't be able to answer. Uh, And this week, it's a bit different because rather than a group coming, we've just got one person, an individual, who comes asking his question. Uh, The individual is a teacher of the law. And you might remember from a couple of weeks back that teachers of the law were really experts in the Jewish scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. So teachers of the law, they memorised parts of the scriptures, they were experts in interpreting what it meant, they were the sorts of people that people would come and ask their questions if things weren't clear. This guy could actually have been a Pharisee or a Sadducee, those two groups that we've looked at over the past two weeks, because both of those groups had their own kind of experts teachers of the law within their group. So it could have been either of those, we don't know. Uh, And it's clear that he's been watching, as Jesus has been answering these other questions, he's been listening in and going, those are good answers. This guy Jesus knows what he's talking about and he comes with an attitude of willingness to listen to Jesus. We're told there in verse 28 that he notices that Jesus has given them a good answer. So it's quite different from the interactions that Jesus has been having, where other people, they're trying to trap him and to trick him. This guy seems genuine. He's a genuine seeker who wants answers, and he wants to know how he can actually live life well for God, and he thinks Jesus is going to be the guy who can give him those sorts of answers. And so he asks this question. Jesus, of all of the commandments... Which is the most important? Now, this wouldn't have been an uncommon question at the time. Uh, Jewish scholars at the time had worked out, by counting them all up, that there were 613 different commandments in the Old Testament. And they often debated which are the heavy and which are the light commandments, by which they meant which ones are the really hard ones to do, which ones are a bit easier, which ones, you know, it's pretty bad if you break them, whereas other ones, you know, it's, it's not good, but maybe it's not as serious as the others. And they'd often had debates about these things. And so he comes and he thinks, maybe Jesus has got a good answer for this question, I'd love to know. Jesus, tell me, which is the most important commandment? And Jesus gives his answer in two parts. He basically quotes two specific commandments rather than one from the Old Testament. His answer starts there in verse 29. Jesus said, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Uh, Jesus is here quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And this verse was kind of like one of those purple passages which would have been really well known to Jewish people at the time and is really well known to Jewish people today. Um, It's called the Shema, and it was actually part of daily prayers that would be recited to God. So, faithful Jewish people would say this each and every day. So, it was really well known. It was kind of like uh, Christians, the most famous verse for Christians is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is kind of like the equivalent for Jewish people. It is a really central uh, verse in their understanding that Jesus quotes. And if you look at it, you can see that it contains a theological truth and an ethical command. So the theological truth is that there is one God and only one God. That's kind of emphasised when the teacher, you see, responds to Jesus. He likes what Jesus says. And in verse 32, he says, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him in Jewish faith, different from all of the other religions at the time that this conversation is taking place, there was one God and one God only. In other religions, there was kind of a God for this and a God for that. There were a variety of different gods that you could pay attention to, but Jews were very clear that there is only one God. There is one God who is responsible for creation. He's made everything that we see in the world, including people. There is one God who sustains the world and sustains every breath that people breathe. There is one God who directs what happened in the world, who's responsible for everything that goes on. There is one God who is the judge that every single person will have to answer to about the way that we've lived. There is one God and one God only. Now, if that's true, then that requires people to make a response. And Jesus says, the way to respond to this one God is to love him. Love is the key response. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. In other words, Jesus says, love God with every aspect of your life, and love God with every fiber of your being. Now, I think we just need to pause there, because love is such a common word that we use all of the time, we're really familiar with it, and yet it's a word which is often misunderstood, and we need to be careful that we don't go astray right at the start, thinking that we know what Jesus means by love, and getting it wrong. Because when Jesus talks about love here, he's not primarily talking about feelings, when Jesus says, love God, I want you to love God, he's not saying, generate loving feelings within yourself. Make yourself really feel love towards God. That's pretty kind of hard to do, isn't it? To sort of make ourselves feel things. No, we may or may not feel loving in a particular moment before God. But that's beside the point. Jesus is saying, I want you to act in love. It's about actions and what we do. Like Kat was saying, it's the decisions that we make to make a decision to love God with everything that we have. It's talking about action, doing the loving thing rather than feeling the loving feeling necessarily. And Jesus is saying, in your love, it's got to be all-encompassing. Heart, soul, mind, strength, you might remember uh, earlier this year when we did a series, Who Am I?, and we were thinking about the human person and how we're made up, that within Hebrew thinking, the heart um, was quite a broad category. When you spoke about the heart, you were speaking about emotions and desires, but you're also speaking about the intellect and thought and your conscience and your will. All of those things were, were covered by the heart. And so when we're talking about heart, soul, and mind, Jesus is saying every sort of aspect of your psychological and and spiritual inner life, all of that's got to be directed towards God, in love towards God. And and strength, that's kind of the, the physicality of our personhood. It's about how we use our bodies, what we put our energy into, how we use our time, That's what is meant by strength. And so you put that all together, Jesus is saying, with every single aspect of your life, love God, and with every single fibre of your being, love God. Now, what does that look like in practice? Well, again, it's about concrete actions. It's about what we actually do that matters. And loving God necessarily will involve us being obedient to God and doing the things that He wants us to do. Um, so Jesus, in another place when He's teaching in John chapter 14, the verses are on the screen there, he says a couple of things in John 14. In in verse 15 he says, If you love me, keep my commands. Then in verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So love towards God means being obedient to God, um, doing the things that God asks us to do because we love him and therefore we will do what he says, which is actually what is best for us as well. So love involves obedience, but that's just the start. It's more than that, isn't it? Because if you are loving God, then it's going to be about proactively and purposefully living our lives in a way where God has the priority and we look to him first and foremost as we make our decisions. So we can ask ourselves, are we loving God with the way we use our time and our energy? Is it a priority for me to meet with God's people, to listen to what God has to say to me through his word, spend time with him in prayer, where I share my life with him and I listen to God speaking back to me? Am I using the gifts that God has given me, the training, the experience, the the wiring and personality that God's gifted me with in order to serve God? and to use that so that he would be honoured in the way that I live my life. Right? I'm not just talking about how we serve at church here either, I'm not just talking about whether you're on a roster. Right? I'm talking about all of life, as we go through life, uh, as you walk into school each day, or as you head into work, or wherever you find yourself through the day, uh, with your family, whatever your responsibilities are, Are you loving God in each of those situations? Are you directing all of your life and every aspect of your life in service of God and saying, I want you to use me fully today, God, as I serve you? I want to pick particularly on what Jesus says about loving God with your mind. Because sometimes we can kind of disconnect our mind. We can use our mind at school and in our study, in our workplace... And then you walk into church and think, phew, I don't, I don't really need to, to think. It's not about that. But Jesus says, your mind, love me with your mind too. Um, I was once wrestling with a really tricky question that I couldn't quite work out in the Bible. And I was thinking, who would have the answer to this that sort of relates to a particular area of life? I know. I'll ask my friend Sarah. She works in this field. She must have thought about this. Um, she's a mature Christian person, she's an expert in this particular field, i go and ask her the question. So I said, what do you think? I've been trying to work this out, you must have the answer. And she looked back at me, like this, completely blank, and said, I've never thought about it. And it was kind of in that moment I thought, there's a disconnect there, because you use your mind thinking about this sort of thing, but you've separated out your love for God, your serving of Jesus from the work that you do. You haven't brought the two together. So my encouragement to you who are studying at school, as you're engaging your mind in your studies, or people who are at college, TAFE, uni, wherever you might be, and for people in your workplace, as you're engaging your mind in particular areas, let me ask you, how do you love God with your mind as you're using mind to learn different things? Are you bringing it together and thinking, how does this fit with my understanding of what the Bible teaches? How do I bring a Christian worldview and so love God and connect what I'm thinking about and learning with my understanding of God? That's part of loving God with your mind. So I really want to emphasize that for you guys who are at school, how do you love God as you learn? How do you think about how this impacts on your Christian life as you're learning things? God calls us to use every part of our lives in love for him, to love him with every aspect of our lives and to love him with every fibre of our being. But Jesus adds another commandment uh, as well in verse 19. He says, The second is this, Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Jesus, again, is is quoting a command of verse from the Old Testament. He's quoting from Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18 this time. He's actually only quoting half the verse and it's less obvious. If the other one from Deuteronomy was kind of a passage that everyone knew, this one's a bit tucked away and hidden and Jesus has sort of pulled it out and said, this one as well, love your neighbour as yourself. It's not like no one has ever said this before. There's other Jewish teachers who said similar things. So there's this great story in the Talmud, which was uh, a series of Jewish writings before the time of Jesus, reflecting on the Scriptures. And in the Talmud, there's this story about a young man who goes to the two religious teachers at the time, the two kind of legend teachers, whose names were Shammai and Hillel. And this young youth says ask them, teach me the whole of the Jewish law while I stand on one leg. Well, the first guy, uh, Shammai, he's holding a measuring stick in his hand. He chases the youth away with the stick, trying to belt him. You know, Get out of here, you young punk. Don't ask dumb questions. Uh, but Hillel, the second one, says this, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbour. That is the whole Torah, the whole Jewish law, while the rest is commentary, go and learn it. What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbour. That's not quite what Jesus is saying. Do you notice the difference? Hillel is saying, if it's harmful, if it's hurtful, don't do it. Whereas what Jesus is saying is, if it's loving and helpful and beneficial, and it's something that you would like to have done to you, Do it to other people. Jesus is focusing on the positive, the proactive. It's not just avoid doing harm, but actively seek to do good for other people. Now, that's pretty hard to do, isn't it? Because it requires us to think about what other people might most need and how we can love them and do that. Again, remember, we're not talking about feelings, but we're talking about actions. Doing good, actively doing things for the benefit of other people. And actually, you might not feel loving when you do them. You might feel angry or upset or annoyed at the other person, and yet Jesus still says, love them the way that you would want to be loved yourself. It calls us to think about the other person and what they need. It calls us to say, what do they most need in this situation? In that way, love is way more, it is far deeper and richer than being nice. We sometimes have this kind of sentimental view of love where we think to love someone means not offending them, to love someone means giving them whatever they ask for. But actually, that might be the most unloving thing that we could do in a particular situation. So, my son, uh, Sam, who is uh, the biggest sweet tooth of all of my three children, if he came to me and said, Dad, can I eat my whole lolly box in one go? Is it loving for me to say, sure, mate, go for it? Or, no, you can have one lolly when you've eaten your veggies. Now, he might have an opinion about which is the loving thing for me to do, but actually, the loving thing for me to do as a father is the thing that is best for him, for his health, so that he won't chuck up when he's eaten the whole lolly box. Sometimes the loving thing to do is to challenge someone. Sometimes the loving thing to do is to say, no, I'm not going to do that because I don't think that's helpful. As Christians... We need to be really good at this. Sometimes the loving thing to do is to say, I'm really worried about what you're doing. You know, I love you and I think you're harming yourself by the decisions that you're making there. That is love, not sort of avoiding the conversation and hoping it'll go away, but loving people enough to be able to confront the situation and have an honest conversation, even if you're worried about how that's going to go down. Love isn't wishy-washy. Love is gritty and it is active in the way that it works itself out. And it's other person focused. When Jesus commands us to love, that's the sort of thing that he's speaking about. And again, just like our love for God, love has a structure to it. It's not a vague kind of go with the vibe sort of thing. There are other commands that God has given us which give shape and structure to show how to love other people. Do not gossip. Do not murder. Do not tell lies to one another. Do not commit adultery. Welcome one another. Be reconciled to one another. Forgive one another. Bear one another's burdens. Encourage one another. Jesus is able to give a summary, love others, love God, because it kind of encompasses these other commands that are also there, which give a structure to show the best way to do love by carrying out these other commands from God. So love and obedience go together. If we're going to love God, it means obeying the commands that God has given us Including the best ways to love other people, the way that God would want us to do that. So, how are you going with that? How are you going loving your neighbour? Not feeling love, but doing love for others. Who is the the person that you're finding it hardest to love at the moment? Who's the, the kid at your school, or the person at your work, or the family member? who, gee, it's hard to love, but you want to put into practice this command of Jesus to love them because he calls you to do it. What is it that you could do for them? Is it just listening to what they have to say? Is it finding a way to help them with their schoolwork or the work that you're doing in the workplace together? Is it forgiving them because they've hurt you some way? What is it that you need to do to carry out this command of Jesus to love your neighbour as yourself? Jesus sums it up very simply. Love God, love your neighbour. It's easy to remember, simple to remember, profoundly difficult to do in practice. So how does this passage end? Well, it's clear that the teacher of the law is impressed with Jesus' answer, he reiterates what Jesus has said, and then he says something really surprising at the end. He says, loving God and loving your neighbour is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. That is a really surprising thing for a first century Jewish teacher to say, because Offering sacrifices to God were the way that you came into relationship with God, the way that your sins were forgiven, and that you could maintain a relationship with God. What's more, whereabouts is this conversation taking place between the teacher of the law and Jesus? They're standing in the temple. They're standing in the place where the sacrifices were offered. And yet, he says this surprising thing, and Jesus affirms it. He sees that the guy's answered wisely, and he says... You're not far from the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Clearly Jesus is trying to encourage the guy. He sees that he's got a good attitude, he's humble, he's open. And so he's saying, you're on the right track, you are so close to God's king. You've nearly got it. So he's encouraging him in the direction that he's thinking. But he's doing more than that. As we look at the big picture of where the life of Jesus, the story of Jesus is going as we continue to read through the Gospels. We can see that as well as being close intellectually in his mind in having it worked out, there's something profoundly more powerful going on there as well because this guy standing talking to Jesus, he's physically close to the one who is bringing God's kingdom into being. Jesus, who is bringing God's kingdom on earth. Jesus, who is the king come from heaven, God himself come to establish God's kingdom. Jesus, who will offer himself as a sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, who is the one who can bring us into relationship with God, entering into God's kingdom. He is close. He is so close because We know the way you enter into God's kingdom is through Jesus. It's through putting your trust in Jesus so that your sins are forgiven, so that he gives you the gift of his Holy Spirit to empower you to live a life of love. It is through Jesus and only through Jesus that we enter into God's kingdom. What does it look like to live the Christian life? Again, back to that question, how do you sum it up? The answer is love. You enter into relationship with God through love, God's love for us in Jesus, and you live it out in love as we direct our whole lives of love to God and as we love other people, actively trying to do their good to reflect the love that God has for us. You enter through God's love for us and you live it out through love, love for God, love for each other. Let me pray for us as we seek to do that. God, thank you that you first loved us, that through Jesus that you offer us a relationship with yourself. And help us to live in love, help us to love you and give the whole of our lives to you. And we ask for your help as we seek to love other people, especially those people who popped into our minds when we were talking about the difficult people who need our love. Help us, by your Spirit, to be able to love them, to actively do good for them, even when we find it difficult. We thank you for the simplicity of this command. We thank you for the beauty of these commands. And so we ask for the strength to be able to put them into practice in your name. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. If you have any questions about this podcast, send us an email, questions at stjohnsdc.org.au.